Hello there. Before we jump into today's episode of Our First Year, I wanted to share the exciting news that podcast episodes will now be released weekly. Every Monday, you'll be able to find a new interview with a mom talking about her first year of motherhood or a professional with expertise in the first year. We have some really incredible interviews with these experts coming up on topics like baby's hearing in the first year, photographing your baby in the first year, and what to know about pelvic floor health in the first year, and so much more. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in. Hello, and welcome to our first year of Mattress and Stories podcast. I'm your host, Molly Vassabertolucci. I'm a licensed therapist and a maternal mental health specialist. I'm a mother of two on a parenthood learning journey, just like you. On this podcast, I talk with moms about their first year of motherhood and all of the joys, challenges, and surprises that come along with it. We share a lot of information and resources here, but this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a mental health professional. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Thanks for being here with me. Our guest today is Anna, a mother of two who received unexpected news at her firstborn's newborn screening. News that changed her life and threw her expectations out the window. Anna shares with us about finding peace and how putting her family at the center of everything has allowed for connection and joy even in really tough times. I can't wait for you to hear Anna's story of trust, endurance, and self-love in the first year. Anna, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Thank you for having me, Molly. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Uh, My name's Anna. I live in San Luis Obispo with my husband and my two children, Lily, who's eight, and Quinn, who's five. What three words would you use to describe your first year of motherhood? I would definitely say trust, endurance, and self-love were three main things that I experienced through both the first years of Lily and Quinn. I love those descriptions. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about how each of those played in with both of their first years. What was the model in your head of motherhood? What did you think that your first years would be like? My mother was a stay-at-home mom, so I got to see her flourish in the home whether it was, you know, waking me up every day, providing breakfast, cooking, cleaning, keeping the home, you know, um, I also pictured um, being a kid of the 90s, like, I watched a lot of, like, like family sitcoms, and I thought about, like, my milk supply with my babies, like, everything was going to work for me, because nothing really bad had happened to me growing up, so I was like, all right, I'm going to have all the breast milk. I'm going to have a great pregnancy. I'm going to have the quintessential, like perfect birth. And that's what I anticipated. So yeah. Like why would, why would anything go wrong? Like there's, it's never depicted, right? Would anything go wrong? (laughs) No, it's not (laughs) depicted at all. And so how well did your reality match up with that expectation? It wound up being so drastically different. Um, With Lily, it was 2015. I had a very healthy pregnancy. I had um, my water broke at 6 a.m. I progressed very quickly, delivered her with no medication, 
like at 10 o'clock in the morning. So within five hours, we were, you know, bing, bam, boom, baby's on our hands. She's nine pounds. She's only a day over her due date. Everything seemed to be what I expected, what I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And then we were doing the newborn screening and I worked in the hospital in the cafeteria. So I knew a lot of the staff. So I felt very at home and the pulse ox screening failed like three times. And the nurse was like, Oh, I think there's something wrong with my machine. I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And then people started coming in and out of the room a little bit worried they went and took her and did um, an echocardiogram on her heart because what the pulse ox does is it traces how much oxygen is in your blood. And for a newborn, it should be 99 to 100% saturated with oxygen. And hers was at 97. And even though that's like a 3% difference, like that's significant for a newborn. So we get her back from her echo. They send the pictures off to a doctor And a nurse comes in and says, who I knew very well, she was head of NICU, was like, Anna, this is life or death, and I need to take Lily up to the NICU to get her on a medication to keep a certain valve open because she's got severe heart defects. Hmm. And in that moment, my husband dropped to the floor and was hysterical, and I knew that I needed to just stay calm and centered And allow my husband to fall apart because I knew that she was going into hands I trusted. But he didn't know that. So fast forward a couple of days, we get flown to UCLA. She gets extubated, which she was able to breathe on her own. Her heart defects weren't as severe as they were shown in the beginning. But Mm -hmm. we still needed to have open heart surgery within the 12 days of her life. So then Lily went on to having three open heart surgeries um, in the course of the first four years. So in the first year, she had two. um, And a lot for me, I wanted to make sure I was strong enough for my child. You know, I wasn't in a bed resting. I was in a wheelchair or I was walking around a hospital. I'm going back and forth from the room to to the NICU to allowing people in. Um, pumping, using donor milk, using formula, like all the different things. And at that point, our kid wasn't even our kid. It was UCLA's kid. Mm -hmm. They were the one in control. They were the one taking care of her 24 hours, you know? And so when when we had Quinn two and a half years later, we're like, yes, we get a do-over. We get to bring home a newborn. And even with that, that came with a bunch of struggles my husband got a fever. So I'm in the hospital with Quinn for four days by myself. Mm. He's at home recovering. Um, His mental health started to kick in and he started to suffer that first year, like very physically. Um, Mm. So now I'm mom and dad. I'm supporting my husband who's fighting every day to get through his demons. I've got a heart baby. I've got a newborn. We also moved to another town within the first month of Quinn's life. Mm. So we we just never had that, you know, sitcom bringing home of a baby and being in bed and being doted on and having, you know, your partner be able to be 100%. And 
it it was it was just hard and that's where that endurance comes in when I talk about like those three words endurance to keep waking up every day and choosing your family your yourself like and pushing through every day yeah yeah just like the intensity of having to rush past really that like rest and recovery period mm-hmm. of just the immediate demands on you and your husband to like kick into crisis mode right and yes. this was yes. not something that you saw coming like like no you had no idea this was coming no idea no time to like put your finances together mm-hmm. um no time to you know figure out if there's local charities in your town that can help support you through this Mm -hmm. um even just getting the word out to your community like we need help you know like you you become very humbled in that moment when people start to go fund me for you and you're getting thousands of dollars and you're just like some people don't even know us they only know us by our name of and like of a family member and they're just dropping lots of money into that gofundme and you're just you're so humbled and you're so thankful. But then with Quinn, it was kind of this silent thing. Nobody was, you know, hurt. No one's in the hospital, but we're still struggling, you know, with the mental health part of it all. Mm -hmm. And even at that time in 2018, mental health was still like on the brink of being accepted to talk about for men. And for, for a father for that first year, like, you know, they're expected to provide financially um, and socially and emotionally. But what happens when they can't? That was our second kind of trauma was mm-hmm. having to take over and support him in that first year um, of Quinn's life. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There, There just isn't a lot of the same recognition of men's mm-hmm. mental health in the postpartum and early parenting years. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about, I think will be so familiar to a lot of listeners of even just being a second time parent, even without like any of these extra challenges that you were facing, like a mm-hmm. second time mom still needs support, right? Like it's mm-hmm. still new. And sometimes that piece is missing of like, oh, you got it. Like you've done this before. Absolutely not. Well, with Lily, she came home programmed. The NICU had her on a schedule. She knew what she liked to eat. Um, We knew everything. She was, you know, pre-programmed. Then we brought Quinn home. And I was like, I've never brought home a month old, a first month old. I've, Lily was two months old. So I'm like, how do I program this baby? How do I get her, make sure she latches on me properly? How do I, like, what if she doesn't, like, like my breast and my breast milk? And what if she doesn't like formula or, you know, going through the different bottles? Like, I didn't go through that. So that was another huge hit to that first year with the second baby of they're a completely different human being. It's not the same experience, regardless Mm -hmm. of the heart stuff and the mental health. Like, they're two different human beings. Yeah, what you're describing is so familiar to me because 
my first was in the NICU. And when she came mm-hmm. home, yes, yeah, she had been, you know, they do the coordinated cares where she was eating every three hours. And she was, yes. she was also sedated. Even when she came home, she was on medication where she was sedated. And so we had this kind of like <laughs> easy breezy once she was home, baby. Yes. And then we brought our second home, you know, immediately from the hospital. And we're like, this is really hard. <laughs> like, Very hard. Why is she crying? Like, what's, what's, ha- why, why does she want to eat so frequently? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it is a totally different experience. <laughs> Absolutely. There was definitely no sleep with the second one at all. Right. And then, um, I think it was the second night. It was just brutal. Right. And then like, we, yes. we got through it. And then a few days later, I found this like insert from the hospital because they send home all this stuff with you, you know, and you're like, I don't know what this is. And it's on the counter and you don't. You're like, I will deal with this later. Like, (laughs) I can't even like see straight. I'm so tired. And then it's like, oh, the second night is the hardest. I'm like, that would have been good to know. (laughs) Definitely did not know that. (laughs) No. Uh, So you, you faced these challenges that you didn't, you didn't anticipate. And you mentioned some with Lily, just like all these different um, attempts to feed her. So like pumping, donor milk, formula. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about how you fed your babies in in that first year. Um, With Lily, so I was 25 at the time. um, And they started with SNS, with with donor milk, because she was born in the hospital. I was allowed to use donor milk at the hospital I gave birth to. So we tried SNS and she latched on and it was great. So then my milk started coming in like later that day, next day. Um, of course, they, they have you pumping just to stimulate and keep her to breast as well. Um, but then when we got the news that she needed to go to the NICU, then I went strictly to uh, pumping and she was on donor milk. But then once she went to UCLA, since she wasn't born there, she had to go to formula. So if... Whatever I was pumping, they were giving to her, but they had to supplement with formula because I was not producing enough. I think in the first six months, I produced like 75% of what she needed and then needed to supplement with formula. After six months, seven months, my milk was not fatty enough and it just started to deplete. It just wasn't sufficing her. So I said, you know what? I'm okay with it. My mental health is more important than what I'm feeding my baby, whether it's Mm. breast milk or formula. My husband, on the other hand, had kind of this idea in his head, like, you know, I'm going to make sure my wife goes the distance with breast milk and pump or, you know, all of that. And I had to kind of sit him down and say, honey, it's okay that she's on formula. She's been on formula and I, I did enough. And I, you know, I can't push myself any further or neither myself or my kid are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So with Quinn, same thing, probably even less. I don't think I produced enough for her for the first five months, um, was fortifying with formula and I happily went to Hawaii for a wedding. And then my mom had her for 12 days and sleep trained her and helped me have that really nice wean moment mm-hmm. um and I came back and she was like totally happy with the bottle and formula and the smooth smooth sailing from there 
I think what you said was really powerful. I did enough. I did enough. Um, What was sleep like in the first years? Lily was great. She loved to be left alone, which was fine. She had some indigestion, so she slept in the foremom next to me at an angle for like the first three months. Um, But then after that, I was able to put her down in her crib. But that's a NICU baby. They're, They're used to just being alone. So again, very nice. Um, but Lily had some night terrors, I think from the anesthesia and going through two open heart surgeries, she would wake up in the middle of the night and just be unaware that I was in the room and she would just be screaming. So that was a little tough to watch her and know that I can't wake her up, but I would just hold her hand and, you know, just speak kind words and just be soft with her and help her kind of make her way back down. Um, mm. to lay down and fall back asleep. Um, mm. Quinn was a leech and she didn't want to get off of me and I needed to be touching her or she had to be touching me. So we co-slept very long, like for the first year. She was in the co-sleeper within reach. Um, I, it was hard to transition her to the crib. So sleeping with her, not getting a lot of sleep, pacifying her with my boob, even though there was no milk. That was really hard. That was really hard. Yeah, that cumulative like buildup of sleep deprivation when mm-hmm. you have a child in your bed, you're like, this is going to help. We're all going to sleep. And you're like, no, we don't. We don't sleep. Well, you're like sleeping at an angle and you're sleeping with one eye open and mm-hmm. you can hear everything and you're just on edge and then you wake up you're not rested so then you're snapping more during the day your pace patience is thinner um and then you don't feel as present so then the guilt comes on and then you're just feeling guilty all day and then you have to do it all over again Mm -hmm. every single day until your kid figures it out yeah getting her into the room with her sister when she was a good year and a half, she was like, oh, I'm in the room with my sister. I'm not alone. So that first year and a half was torture. Yeah. And I think so many moms can relate to that sleep deprivation and just the amount of like irritation that comes with that yes. that you described. Yes. And on top of that, you were also going through these really stressful surgeries, medical procedures. Mm -hmm. I imagine just learning more all the time about what was going on with Lily. What was that like for you and what helped you get through that? Having to go to Lily's appointments every three months, grab, you know, bring Quinn along with me. It wasn't just for Quinn. It was for both, like all of us, like Quinn needed to learn what was going on with Lily. Mm. Um, It kind of made it an activity for us as a family, you know, these trips. Um, And we just kept it very family centered um, Mm. and making it a positive experience. Um, I had spoke with a lot of families that struggled coming back to, to their appointments because of the trauma and they just, every weekend was hard for them. But for us Mm -hmm. as a family, it was like, cool, we're away from work. We're away from everyone else at home. We can be here. We can focus on us four. 
and learn something new about Lily. And thankfully, Lily's journey was very stable and um, positive, and mm-hmm. which kept us staying positive and grounded. Um, and then Lily had something also to share with Quinn as well. So we got to see their bond get closer mm-hmm. um, through every procedure. Quinn was there. Um, mm-hmm. And even through one of the biggest um, surgeries, Lily was four and Quinn was about um, two. Um, she really relied on her sister when she got home. And for a two-year-old to be able to help her four-year-old sister through things, like, it it just allowed us to know we were doing the right thing, like keeping mm-hmm. it family-centered and, and mm-hmm. focusing just on us and not anybody outside of our circle. What was it like for you to go back to work? Um, or if you decided to take a pause or leave the workforce, what was that decision like for you? Going back to work, I'm a talker and I love people. I thrive being in the workforce. Um, funny that I say that because I loved my how my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I think mm-hmm. I, I like the weekend. It's two days and I get to go back to work on Monday because I need human interaction. <laughs> um, so it wasn't as much the mom guilt of like leaving them behind, but kind of like that I enjoyed work too much, that I enjoyed being away from the home. But then there were the times, you know, my husband and I worked opposite shifts. So he had her in the morning. It's so easy in the morning. They wake up so happy and loving and they love their breakfast and their morning activities. And you can be on the couch and relax. And then by the time I get home at three, he goes off to work and I've got dinner, bath time, chores, this, prep for the next day. I'm getting that hard evening shift with the kids that I don't get to just relax on the couch and do nothing and have them happy when they wake up. I'm getting that, you know, witching hour child. So that was really rough that I was missing out on the fun positive um, with that my husband got to have. And then I was just getting, you know, the, the hard part of the day. And we were already going through so much with her already. I was like, well, why can't I, you know, get to enjoy the good parts of her? So that was really difficult. Um, for Quinn, I really felt guilty leaving both of them with my husband who was battling every day to just be okay with a newborn and a two year old. Um, so I came home, I worked part time. So I only worked from like eight to noon. Um, that was my husband's threshold. Uh, so again, still not getting that, you know, that happy time with the kids. I'm getting the end of the day having to do, you know, more than I, you know, did in the first, first year of Lily's life. Um, so work wasn't much of an escape for me because I, I just wanted to be home to make sure everyone was okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the second time around was a little bit harder. How did the idea of self-care shift for you in the first years? <clears throat> first year was very on top of it. Like told my family, hey, if I go into postpartum, these are the signs. You let me know, hey, we're worried about you. Get me services. Get me whatever I need. It was very on top of it. Because I knew I was going into something that was going to radically change 
everything about me. Mm. It was going to test how I reacted to situations, how I reacted to, you know, what the doctors were telling me, um, envying that I didn't get to go home to my bed and be doted on. I'm in a hospital. Um, so was very on top of it. Um, the nurses also helped me, um, show myself love by forcing us to leave the NICU and go laugh Mm -hmm. and go have a cocktail with my husband and, you know, leave during, you know, shift change so that they can do their work and we wouldn't annoy them, um, and go see a movie. And, you know, if, if we can't take care of ourselves and we just wallow in all of the worry, then our kid doesn't have a stable parent to come home to. So if she's fighting for her life in the NICU, I need to fight for my life outside of the NICU as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with Quinn, I kind of went hyper-focused and went a little overboard. I was consumed with taking care of my husband and my kids and making sure that the house was perfect and that everything physical was fine except for myself because there was no time to think about my mental health or my self-love because I needed to make sure my husband could fight every day for himself and my kids were good. There was nothing left for me. Mm. So the second time around was way difficult and Mm. it didn't, it took me a while to kind of bring myself back around to what I learned the first year. How do you think you were able to do that? What helped you? turn that corner I think looking at my kids like there's such a reminder of keeping things simple and Mm. bringing it back to themselves like something so little can make them laugh something so little can make them smile um their needs for themselves are so simple right good food laughter water and shelter And then we forget as adults, like, oh, this, like, I don't need to go get my nails done every day. I don't need a blowout. I don't need to, like, have great dinners every night. I just need, like, the simple things. I need to laugh with my kids. I need to um, drink lots of water. (laughs) Um, So slowly, as my husband got better, I was able to also allow him to let me lean on him. Um, so, and also kind of taking notes on like his therapy sessions, um, kind of use those for my benefit. Then my friends started having kids. So then I was also, then I was leaning on them and I was like, I don't know how I'm doing this. Like, how are you guys doing this? Mm Because for a long time I was the only mom in the group. And so once they started having kids, it was about the same time my second was born. So I relied on my friends and was able to be very vulnerable with them. Um, And there was some things on Instagram that I would find helpful. um, And uh, yeah, just it it took a lot of time. It took a little bit longer than I had hoped, but... um, definitely just looking inward a little bit more helped kind of get out of my funk. Yeah. Sounds like being able to find some of that presence and perspective, Mm -hmm. 
which kids are really good at reminding us of. Absolutely. What makes you feel proud about your first year as a mother? I'm proud that I learned a lot from Lily. Um, She showed me resilience and to stay present in each moment, which I later then, you know, revisited when I was struggling with Quinn. Um, She endured the most trauma that I'd ever seen in my life. And it was an incredible example for me that if she could get through those moments and with such like um, tenacity too, like she just, mm-hmm. it was incredible to watch that I knew that the, the things that I was facing were not as hard as what she faced and that I could do them. Like I could mm-hmm. get through them. Is there a moment or a period of time that stands out most to you looking back? Um, making peace with death. Um, if my daughter was going to die from her heart defects or the surgery, I made peace with that. I had to make that decision very quickly um, mm-hmm. because this was something that I couldn't control that was happening to her. But it was also her destiny, her destiny at the same time. Like she was born with this. And if this was the thing that was going to take her, then that made sense to me. Like her, you know, getting in a car accident and dying, that wouldn't make sense to me because it didn't, you know, it didn't correlate. So Mm -hmm. making peace with that um, very quickly uh, stood back to me, you know, because most parents don't have to make that decision Yeah, Yeah. when their babies are born. Yeah. And pretty immediately, pretty quickly having to think through like here's this brand new baby we've been waiting for and already being faced with the possibility of losing Mm her. Yeah. And not knowing if that was the day they took her up to the the NICU, 12 days at her first operation, seven months at her second operation, four Mm -hmm. years old with her third, or just, you know, she has a heart attack one day, you know, in her Mm fifties, who knows, you know, I had to make peace with it because it was happening to her. It was Mm -hmm. a consistent thing Mm -hmm. that could take her from me. So often it's a really difficult decision to make to have another child or whether or not you Mm -hmm. are going to have another child. And even Mm -hmm. more so when you have a medically complex child, your first child has Mm -hmm. medical complications. What was that decision like for your family? We went to a med mal doctor to make sure, like, if we could have um, known about Lily's heart defects prior to delivery. Mm -hmm. And because of the standard of care, the images did not show any of her defects. So we're Mm -hmm. like, okay, the outcome with that, it would have been the same. So for Quinn, we went to a high-risk OBGYN. We had an in utero echocardiogram. Mm -hmm. We did an extensive anatomy scan. We did all the blood tests Mm -hmm. Um, because with Lily, we did a genetic test to see why she had a heart defect. And the genetic test came back that it wasn't from either my husband or myself. Mm -hmm. So it just was a turn of nature that went the wrong way. Mm -hmm. No explanation. 
but they did say that there was a 5% increase of having another heart baby. So we decided if we were going to have a second baby, we're going to go through all the hoops prior. So if that it was a heart baby, we would be prepared. And mm-hmm. that after that, if we had two heart babies, we would be done having biological children. And if we wanted to further our family, we would then adopt um, that way because we did not want to risk having a third and, and knowing what it all comes with. Because mm-hmm. not everyone's built to handle what these kids go through. And that's sure. okay. Mm-hmm. Being okay with it, with not being able to do it, is another hard thing, I think, for some parents with medically fra- fragile kids. Like, I don't know if I can do this again. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and giving yourself permission to say that's okay is totally fine. Tell me about your kids' first birthdays. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Lily's was, as you can imagine, big, 50 people, emotional, um, heart-themed, of course. So, thankfully, after Valentine's Day, we went to the clearance aisle and got everything heart decorations. Um, and we we weren't just celebrating her birthday. We were celebrating her survival, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we made it a year. Like that's huge. You know, we didn't, we didn't anticipate that first day of her going up to the NICU, what the first year was even going to look like. Were we going to make it to the first year? You know, was she going to be sick all the time? Was she going to be having more surgeries? Was, um, we just had no idea. So we weren't just celebrating the birthday. We were celebrating a whole year of getting through two surgeries and the happiness and the silliness and all of the love that came with it as well. And even Mm -hmm. our growth is young 25 year olds having a baby. Like I think back at it now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we were babies having babies and going through all that. And we're still married, you know, like, we watched a lot of parents at the hospital split and not be able to handle it. And totally. that is a testament to like your commitment through better or for worse. And that mm-hmm. was worse. Mm-hmm. That was that moment. And even with Quinn, like with my husband suffering her birthday, he was having such a hard time to be present. His anxiety mm-hmm. was through the roof. His depression was debilitating And you can see in his face and her picture that he is struggling to be present. Mm. And that, you know, it just goes to show like when, when it's the worst times, how far are you going to go to keep pushing forward, to keep fighting, Mm. to get Mm. back to the better? Because there's through both years, like there was the ups and the downs and we made it through. Um, So, with Quinn's first birthday, it was, it was great to know that we made it. And, you know, Quinn obviously doesn't know the difference. She had her best friend, Lily there and her family. And we've got, you know, the cute donuts and they still made it special with decorations and stuff, but it just definitely had a different meaning for us as parents Mm. um, through that first year of her life. 
What words of encouragement or wisdom do you have for moms who are in it? All trauma is trauma, no matter how little or big in comparison to one another. We are all allowed to grieve what we expected and what we were hoping for. We are allowed to have bad thoughts as long as we ask for help to move through it and not tuck it away. The more I spoke about my story with Lily and I shared her surgeries, I felt um, more supported through my friends and my community. Um, I reached out to a heart mom group um, Mm -hmm. that we met up once a month and we all got to share our stories and support one another Um, financially. If you're struggling financially, um, or emotionally, there are county and county support services. Um, tell your doctor, tell your OB that something doesn't feel right. Mm. Even if it's the smallest thing, you've never been through this before. You don't know that something is off. So just tell your doctor, tell your friend, tell someone in a chat room for moms. And even if it's anonymous, say it out loud. It's mm. okay. Um, there, um, nothing can change unless you advocate for yourself, um, or have your best friend, spouse, boss, anyone that is in your life that is willing to help lean on them and take them up on the support. Don't go, Oh yeah, yeah. I know you're there. Take Mm -hmm. them up on it because you never know. They might have the right thing that you've been waiting for or the right words that you've been waiting to hear them say, or just that permission of saying, Your intrusive thoughts are normal, but what's not normal is if you allow them to consume you. And I'm someone who has tons of intrusive thoughts all the time. And I know to just be like, okay, they're not real. I have control over this situation. And I fill my husband in later on. I'm so, I'm so touched by hearing you talk about your story with both of your girls and just I really do feel that trust and that endurance and that self-love talking about this with you so I appreciate your vulnerability and your wisdom and sharing that with other moms do you have any resources that you want to share yes if you are in the San Luis Obispo County there is an amazing um Kim, uh, company organization called Jack's Helping Hand, and they have supplied us with gas and hotel for every appointment for the last eight years of Lily's life at UCLA. Um, so if you're not in San Luis Obispo County, um, there, reach out to your gov- like your local government pages and look for charities. Um, anywhere on Instagram or Facebook, put in a hashtag or an ad of like what you're going through. And you will find something out there that's local to you um, and take it. You've worked hard for it. It's okay Mm -hmm. to take that help. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. There's so many resources out there that are for this purpose of supporting people who are going through this. And so not like pushing through any kind of discomfort about that and accessing that Mm -hmm. because that's what it's there for. Absolutely. Where can people find you to connect? You can find me at watermom1518. That's W-A-T-T-E-R-M-O-M-1518 on Instagram or Anna Waterworth on Facebook. Uh, My daughter, Lily Evadina Waterworth, also has a Facebook page. And you can see her entire heart journey, um, Mm -hmm. especially the first five years of her life. We documented quite a lot. 
So you'll see some, you know, photos of her in the hospital that are a little scary, but um, a lot of positive, um, happy faces as well um, that you'll see. What an amazing support that you've created for other heart moms. Yeah. Oh, I imagine that was also um, like a healing part of your journey to be able to share that. Oh, and absolutely. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you, Molly, for giving me the opportunity to share my story. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you did, you might want to subscribe to the podcast so you could be the first to know when new episodes air. Be sure to check out the show notes for any links, resources, or information that we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening.